0: I remember when I was, I was a fair bit younger than I am, I, uh, I love basketball, you might know that now, I love basketball, but I, I met a guy named Chris Anstey, does anyone remember that name, Chris Anstey? Yeah, a couple of people, yeah, excellent. Chris Anstey was a very, very tall, seven foot uh, basketballer. And he went to America to play basketball, so he was one of our first to get across to America. He wasn't the first, but one of our first to get across to America. And um, I had the opportunity to meet him along with a whole lot of his teammates, not while he's in America, while he's back in Melbourne. And um, I remember sort of sort of walking in uh, to, to this group of really tall basketballers, and I thought I was reasonably tall, but really tall basketballers, And and I just remember just going, just sort of getting a bit higher in myself and just getting a bit bigger in myself uh, uh, because they just had such a presence about them. They were big, big men. But something about their presence just just drew me to them. I was just drawn to these basketballers. I was in awe of them. And I, I, I literally made myself bigger because <laughs> I felt very small. Um, I wonder if you've ever been drawn to someone or to something and I wonder if that has ever changed your behaviour. The very presence of something or someone, has it ever changed your behaviour? I can think of a few things that, that change the behaviour of certain people. Um, the first one is the Beatles. Um, I, I got a picture there of screaming, screaming people. That was uh, there was a a, a gift that sort of goes, um, but the lady's just going berserk. (laughs) You can't see it; it doesn't make sense there. But um, they'd walk into a stadium, and the crowd would just go like bananas. I've never never sort of got to see the Beatles, but that was just something that their presence caused a a behaviour change. How about the Queen? The Queen, our, our dear late Queen. I got uh, Mr. Bean had some problems. I don't know if you've seen the episode with Mr. Bean meeting the Queen. He, uh, he had some problems in meeting the Queen, but his behaviour, well, that's Mr. Bean. It probably didn't really change. That was just who he was, wasn't it? Um, but if you were to meet the Queen, I could just imagine how your behaviour might change, how you might respond. What about if you met physically Jesus? I wonder if being in the presence of Jesus changes your behaviour? Think about it physically, but even not physically. I wonder if the presence of Jesus in your life has changed your behaviour. So this morning, as we explore the parable of these two debtors, we're going to explore just two truths, two truths that come through about God's forgiveness and the way that we can change in who we are these two, two, two things are, the greater sense that God has dealt with us in mercy, the greater the love we'll have for him in return. The greater the sense that God has dealt with us in mercy, the greater love we'll have for him in return. And the second thing is that God offers forgiveness based on the potential that there'll be life-changing response. God offers forgiveness on the potential that there will be life change in response. We're going to pray and explore that. So God, as we listen to, as we hear um, from the word, as uh, we listen to um, what I have to say, may it be edifying to you. May we be understanding and may we uh, live out our faith through what we hear today. Amen. So in this story, we find ourselves in a Middle Eastern banquet. And a few weeks ago, Andrew Brown uh, shared a little bit about that, about what a Middle Eastern banquet would look like and uh, gave us some good understanding of it. So here we have, uh, uh, so you can go back a couple of weeks and listen to that. But here we have another story of a banquet. And this time, the story takes place And the parable comes later. So uh, in Andrew's one, the parable was the the banquet. This time they're having a banquet and Jesus shares a parable afterwards. Simon, this Pharisee, he'd invited Jesus home for dinner uh, because Jesus was a prophet. And so it would look good if he had a prophet come to his house. Maybe he'd heard Jesus preach somewhere. Or maybe he'd sort of heard through the grapevine or whatever it was. But Simon got his man. It was like he got the celebrity prophet it's like he got Chris Anstey to come for dinner. You can imagine him uh, parading Jesus in and past all of his guests. You can imagine him sort of going, Oh, we've met Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is... You can just imagine it, just as, uh, as, as, if, as if he's got a trophy to bring home. Jesus, as a guest of honour, he reclines in the seat of honour next to Simon. And Simon seems to have been bringing him to this table to find out a little bit more about who Jesus really is. As it was custom, and Andrew talked about this, there were onlookers. Uh, It's a little weird for us to, to sort of understand that today, isn't it? Because we don't have this. When we have a meal, we don't have other people standing around having a look at us eat our meal, do we? But but there's a crowd that would gather around the outside of the table. It could be in their house, but it still have people come in and just gather around. The, the The guests didn't sit in armchairs or anything like that. They'd sit very low, low, sort of uh, reclining themselves. They'd be on their arm. I was going to get down, but now I've got the boxes here. You won't see me. Uh, <laughs> on, on the arm, and they'd sort of, sort of lie down and, and, and sort of eat their food like that. So, so they're reclined. It's very relaxed. I kind of like it. <laughs> but, um, but that's how they would do it. And then, but there'd be these other people that would come in and just, they'd be on the sort of the walls around and they'd, they'd just watch. They'd observe. They'd just be a part of Almost like a fly on the wall, I suppose. It would be a little bit weird to me. Can you you just imagine being at at home and then strangers walking through your door and just gathering around your table uh, and watching you and your family eat? That would be a little weird. Um, They're not getting in the way. They're not stepping in and grabbing a bit of your bread or anything like that. They're just there, observing. They're listening. Even if it was at a restaurant for us, it would be weird, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd be a good social experiment one day. Um, if you're interested, let's, let's try this. We'll go to Eastland. We'll find a table that there's a whole lot of people, and we'll just go and stand around it and see what happens. That would be fun. <laughs> I wonder what would happen. But for that Middle Eastern culture, that wasn't weird at all. That was normal. That wasn't expected. It was even courteous. So people, It was a way that the, 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 the host felt good about themselves as well. Because it honoured the host. Um, Hey, I've got a celebrity guest in my house. And you're all here. And you can see what I've been able to do. The success of the evening rested on having many people around. The the bit of the the bustle and the hustle that happens there. So so within this crowd, though, there's a woman. And she turns up as part of this this outside crowd. And Luke tells us straight up that she'd lived a sinful life in verse 37. Verse 37. Everyone seemed to know and understand that's what this woman's life was. It wasn't debated. It wasn't like she might have lived a sinful life. It was she lived a sinful life. She didn't seem to actually care so much about that at the time because she didn't come to justify herself. She didn't come to, uh, to tell everyone, no, that's not who I am. She didn't come to make amends to all the other people around. She came for one reason. She came for one person, and that was Jesus. She came to the party, regardless of the ridicule that that could have come to this lady from the other guests. I'm sure they were sitting around. I'm sure the guests at the table are going, what on earth is she doing? And the guests around the table are going, why is she doing that? She's a sinner. She's, She's that lady. The whispers would have been there. Yet, she comes in. She stands behind Jesus, who's reclining, and she weeps. And her tears fall onto Jesus' feet. And she doesn't have a cloth, so she uses her hair and wipes it off. She cleans them. Then she kisses them. You can imagine kissing feet, a dirty foot, isn't, isn't the best sort of thing you do normally. And then he pour, she pours a bottle of perfume. Not a cheap bottle of perfume, a bottle of perfume on them. This was a very, very brave act by this woman. An extremely brave act that could have been almost catastrophic in terms of what she would see or what her place in society might be. But her actions didn't matter to anyone else in her mind. It was all about Jesus. Her actions were way different to any actions of the other crowd uh, and any actions that that anyone was expecting of that night. These are humble, these are honouring actions. Yet the crowd looks on with disdain. How dare she do that? She's making the guest of honour unclean by touching him. By doing this, a sinner, you have just made Jesus unclean. But Jesus already has had such a large impact on her. We don't know exactly what happened, but Jesus has already made a huge impact on her. Jesus has forgiven her. She's, she's, something's gone on and Jesus has made this impact. That her action of anointing was an outward show of a changed and humbled heart. This is not what Simon or any of the other guests were thinking though. Because when Jesus didn't send her away for being a sinner, Simon the Pharisee figured uh, he'd now understand where Jesus sat. If Jesus was really a prophet, he thought, he'd know what kind of woman she is, and she, he, Jesus would spurn her and just send her away, like, like all the other guests are hoping. And at this stage, only at this stage, Jesus enters the conversation and he tells them, A parable, as he tends to do. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed him 500 nari and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. And he asked Simon the question, now which of them will love him more? can imagine Simon getting all, all sort of sweaty under the collar. Is this one of those trick questions, Jesus? <laughs> what, what have I got to answer? What have I got to answer? Maybe I go for the one that doesn't seem right because that might be right. <laughs> you can just imagine it. And Simon answers. It wasn't a quick question. It was just a question. The one with the bigger debt. It's like having a, a one-month debt versus a 10-year a, a, a debt. The difference is quite significant in price. Yet, unlike other de- de- debt collectors who, who, once you can't pay your debt, they clamp in a little bit further and clamp in a little bit further, they will get what they're owed. This one says, No, nah, don't stress. Don't stress, your debts are forgiven. I looked up, we, um, we were at uh, Lilydale through the week uh, for basketball, and we came across a sheriff, um, and they were, they were actually clamping a car. And Kyra uh, said, well, What's a sheriff? And so I looked it up, so I, sort of similar sort of thing. I looked up what a sheriff does. And funny, sheriffs uh, can, <coughs> can take possession of your car and stuff like that if you haven't paid back your, your, your debts or whatever, but they can't take things that are essential to living. You want to know what's essential to living? A washing machine, fridge, and a television. They can't take your television. You need that. Anyway, so just to... <laughs> anyway um, this debt collector... Wouldn't have had a television to take. But anyway, he, he said, no, I'm not going to take, uh, take your television. I'm not going to take, uh, I'm going to wipe your debt. Absolutely clear. I wonder how Simon was feeling at this stage. He goes, yes, I got the answer right. This is good. This is good. I've passed the test. But the last six verses of the chapter see Jesus applying all the principles in this small, small parable. Jesus chooses to engage rationally with the woman. Jesus doesn't dwell on her past. Jesus prefers to see the potential that love and forgiveness will bring to an open heart. So Jesus turns to this woman who has anointed his feet and he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you, you didn't give me water for my feet. But look what she's done. She's bathed my feet with her tears. She's dried them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But from the time you, you, I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with oil. You can imagine uh, Simon all big in the party The host with the celebrity guest starting to just slump down with his shoulders. It's a bit of a roast, really, Jesus gives him. But he gives him, but he keeps going. He keeps going. And he says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her love is great. Her great love is shown. But whoever's been forgiven a little loves a little. The story keeps going and the crescendo comes in verses 48 to 50 where Jesus tells the the woman here, says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, that's huge. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that can even forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now this is is huge, this has got a massive impact because all of a sudden Jesus goes from being considered a prophet when he comes in the door To all of a sudden, while he's letting this lady do this stuff and he should know that she's a sinner, so all of a sudden, you're no longer a prophet, you're just another bloke. To what on earth is going on now? He's forgiving sins. It's massive. Forgiving sins is a God thing, not a human thing. Now, we're not going to dive too deep into that right now because that's probably for another whole sermon because I've got another couple of things that I want to bring into this this, uh, scenario here. So we'll get that another time. But just imagine... The ripple that would have gone through the room when Jesus said that. It changes things when Jesus starts to put out who he is. Now we've got this simple parable and we've got a couple of lessons to learn from it. So let's let's figure out these lessons. The first one was that the greater the sense that God has dealt with us in mercy, the greater love we'll have for him in return. Now, in that story, we've got three characters, really. That's all we've got in the story. Two out of those three characters in that story were sinners. They were in need of a saviour. The woman who anointed Jesus' feet, felt, uh, had, he, she had this stark realisation of her need for repentance. She knew she was a sinner. It was labelled. It was out there. Her sin was common knowledge. We don't know exactly what it was. There's a whole lot of speculation. But what we do know is she was unclean. And she knew it. She didn't hide it. Rather, she showed great love for the one who showed her great mercy. Simon, on the other hand, he didn't. He was happier pointing out the sins of the others rather than getting the plank out of his own eye. It's all about gratitude, isn't it? The woman had an attitude of gratitude. She knew her need for forgiveness, flipped the coin over, and on the other hand, Simon was unable to even see the need that his sinful nature had. He looked down on the woman, forgetting that he himself was in need of the grace of God. It's a reminder for all of us, isn't it? We all need reminding that each and every one of us need the grace of God. Simon, he failed to see himself as a sinner. And when you fail to see yourself as a sinner, it becomes a problem. It's, the root of, of it becomes ingratitude. We live in a world where uh, we're not grateful for things that maybe we should be. We live in this era of ingratitude. In- ingratitude really points out selfishness, doesn't it? We put on ourselves, we put ourselves above other people. As if it's a right that we have. We may have forgotten or played down sin in our lives. I'm not as bad as that person. The impact of sin. Well, you know what? My sin's only small, so, but she, she's a sinner. And when we do that, when we start to compare we actually start to forget the grace that has been given to us. That was Simon's story. We'll only become thankful when we recognize that we are alike. Each and every one of us are alike in our rebellion against God. That everything we have, our our life, the possessions that we have, our friends, only come because of the grace of God. And if we forget that, We become ungrateful. See, the reality is that if God required any sort of justice to to be in communion with him, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. None of us could pay that debt. Yet this boundless grace reaches past our ingratitude and reminds us that we're all the same. 2 Corinthians 12.9 reminds us that my grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect in weakness. Through our ingratitude, through our sin, through our deliberate acts of sort of saying no to God, disobedience, he still says, my grace is sufficient for you. We live a gospel of ultimate hope. It's the same grace offered to the woman pouring oil onto Jesus' feet. The same hope is given to Simon, to all of the guests at the banquet, to all of those that are standing against the walls. But it poses one question. Does a gospel like this, a gospel of God reaching out to save sinners, doesn't it just encourage more sin? Doesn't it cheapen forgiveness? Surely that lady will understand it more because she's got more to forgive. Well, that's not true at all. I'm sure we all know people who have experienced the, the powerful gospel message that, that, that has transformed life. I'm sure we all know it. You will be one of them. People at this church have, have seen profound change because of Jesus' presence. You'll know people who share testimonies and you go, Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> Romans 1.16 tells us, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then to the Gentile. See, the good news of Jesus Christ, it has these far-reaching implications for the kingdom. As it's proclaimed to others. Not because of anything we do, but because of God's power. It's God's power That we hear in scripture that prostitutes are transformed into disciples. That drunkards become sober. That the proud become humbled. That dishonest people become models of integrity. That lives were restored and transformed. But it's not just our biblical times. It's all time. We know those people. We know them and you might be one of them all because of the grace shown through, to them through Jesus Christ. There was a patient whose life was saved by a blood transfusion. The patient asked after it all, or come and gone, is there any way I can discover the name of the donor so that I can thank that person personally? He was told that names would never divulge. And so after being discharged, this patient returned again and again and again to donate blood. When someone commended him for his splendid record of donating into this anonymous service, he simply answered, Someone I never knew did it for me. I'm just saying thanks. Hmm. I wonder if you've got the awe of what God has done for you still in your life. I wonder if when Jesus stretched out his arms, whether that image still captures your heart. I wonder, does God's grace impact your life daily? Or have you become a little bit like Simon? Who could look at this lady and go, such a sinner. Looking at others, yet forgetting what God's done for you. And that's the crux of the second lesson we can learn. That God offers forgiveness... On the potential that there will be life changing response. God offers forgiveness on the potential. There's a fundamental cycle of relationship that exists between God and the believer. For, for Jesus, the possibility of developing a relationship with someone in sin is enough for Jesus to pursue them. That's enough. To not chase them away when, when you hear them sort of, uh, or see them at your feet and crying tears on your feet at a dinner party, He chases them, He goes for the sinner. He doesn't take Simon's arm's length approach and goes, oh, don't go near that one. He embraces them. Because the potential for godly transformation through forgiveness actually compels Jesus to reach out to the sinner. To engage with them in a relational sense. He ate with them. He called them to follow him. He healed them. He he befriended them. And the religious leaders didn't like any of that. But that's what Jesus did. I wonder if we see the outside world through the same eyes, through Jesus' eyes, or do we see it a little bit more through Simon's eyes? It made me think this week as I got my hair cut, just listening to conversation. The barbershop was very loud. Just listening to the conversations. And it made me think, these people are all loved by God, just don't know God. Well, maybe some of them did. I don't know everyone in the, in the shop. But it made me go, I need to think about where I am and think about things differently. I wonder how we'd respond, how we'd respond if, say, someone famous like a, a Madonna or an Elton John came to the Lord. <laughs> if they sat at the Lord's feet. People that you perhaps might think, well, I couldn't imagine them coming to, to, the, to the Lord. the <laughs> Lord. Maybe there's someone in your life that you think, you know what, they'll never know God. They'll never get to understand His grace. And so you just go, I'll just leave them there. Because I'm saying, do you see sinners for who they are in your eyes? Or do you see sinners for who they are in God's eyes? Because the reality is, we're all sinners. We have the tendency to get things mixed around in the wrong way. We, we look at, at sin rather than looking at the opportunity for transformation. We look at, at the, the, the outside rather than saying there's a heart here that could take that little offering of grace and see them kneel at the feet of Jesus. We look at the amount it'll cost. And sometimes we just weigh up. Is it going to be worthwhile for us? Yet this is what Jesus does, and he considers it a blessing. See, if we as a church believe that that we have something to offer, then we should actually show what it looks like to be with people outside of the church. To view people not as a threat, but as someone with the potential to know and understand the grace that you've known and understood. It means that as we greet people in our neighbourhoods, As we rub shoulders with the people in the hairdressers or the cafes or the supermarkets, we'll come across lives that we've never had an opportunity to hear, that have never had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. And we might hear a story that connects with our story. And we might be able to say, you know what? There's an opportunity to hear about Jesus. We sometimes put the, the cart in front of the horses, don't we? We try and clean up the person's life. Hey, well, if you sort of sort yourself out, then come along to church. Or if you sort yourself out first, then let's have a chat about, about things. But that's not what God's grace is about. See, it's God promises that by his grace, he's going to establish relationship with the person, maybe through you. And that relationship with Jesus is a transforming agent That's where change happens when the relationship with Jesus happens. That's why we've got to remember that's happened to us. It's happened to us. If you know Jesus, it's already happened to you. See, God is in the business of transformation. Our role is to love those who are lost and bring amazing grace to their lives. Bring them to the feet of Jesus. So this short parable reminds us that we, as God's people... As a church, we've got a great responsibility to not just stay in the building. We've got a great responsibility to help others know and see Jesus. This morning, we must learn how not to be like Simon, forgetting our need for grace. Rather, we must remain like this woman who cried at the feet of Jesus, remembering the grace of God in her life. I love this quote, in pursuing moral values in our communities, we must never lose the ability to communicate the most important value of all, the love of God expressed in the offer of forgiveness. Crusading for righteousness without compassion for the sinner forgets that we all started at the same place in need of divine forgiveness. Our gratitude to God should translate into offering the same compassion to others that he has given to us, I love that. There's a French proverb that says, "Gratitude is the memory of the heart." The memory of the heart includes the memory of those who are dependent on, on the uh, sorry, who are dependent on just just as the forgetfulness of dependence. That's a big sentence that didn't quite fit well. Push that to the side. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> this morning, don't forget to remember the transformation of your heart that Jesus has brought to you. The transformation set you in a place where you are then able to share that with others. I want to finish with a story of the life um, from the life of a Canadian pastor, Harry A. Ironside, his name is. Early in his ministry, uh, Mr. Ironside was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he was walking along, or working alongside some Christians called the Brethrens. One evening, as he was um, walking through the city, he came across uh, a whole lot of Salvation Army workers holding a meeting on the corner of of um, these two major streets. When they recognised Ironside, they asked if he'd share his testimony. So he did, giving a word about how God had saved him through faith in in the bodily death and the resurrection of Jesus. As he was speaking, Ironside noticed that on the edge of the crowd was a well-dressed man who had taken a card from his pocket and had written something on it. As Ironside finished his talk, the man came forward, lifted his hat, and politely handed Ironside the card. On one side side was his name, which Ironside recognised immediately. The man was one of the early socialists who had made a name for himself lecturing against Christianity. As Ironside turned the card over, it read, Sir, I challenge you to a debate with me uh, over the question agnosticism versus Christianity in the Academy of Science Hall next Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. I will pay all expenses." Ironside reread reread the card aloud and then replied somewhat like this, "'I'm very much interested in this challenge. Frankly, I'm already scheduled for another meeting for the Lord's, um, for next Lord's Day afternoon at three o'clock, but I think it would be possible to, for me to get through with that in time to reach the Academy of Science by four. Or if necessary, I could arrange to have another speaker substitute for me at the meeting already." Therefore, I will gladly agree to this debate on the following conditions, namely that in order to prove that this gentleman has something worth debating about, he he will promise to bring with him to the hall next Sunday two people whose qualifications I will give in a moment as proof that agnosticism is of real value in changing human lives and building true character. First, he must promise to bring with him one man who was for years what we call a down and outer. I'm not particular as to the exact nature of the sins that had wrecked his life and made him an outcast from society, whether a drunkard, a criminal of some kind, or a victim of his sensual appetite, but a man who for years was under the power of evil habits from which he could not deliver himself, but who on some occasion entered one of this man's meetings and heard his glorification of agnosticism and his denunciations of the Bible and Christianity, and whose heart and mind, as he listened to such an address... Were so deeply stirred that he went away saying, Henceforth, I too am an agnostic. As a result of, uh, of imbibing that particular philosophy, he's found a new power that has come into his life. The sins he once loved, he now hates, and his righteousness and goodness are now the ideals of his life. He's an entirely new man, a credit to himself, and an asset to society, all because he's agnostic. Secondly, I would like my opponent to promise to bring with him one woman. I think he may have more difficulty in finding the woman than the man, who was once poor, wrecked, characterless, outcast, the slave of evil passions, and the victim of man's corrupt living. Perhaps one who had lived for years in some evil resort, utterly lost, ruined, and wretched because of her life of sin. But this woman also entered a hall where this man was loudly proclaiming his agnosticism and ridiculing the message of the Holy Scriptures. As she listened, hope was born in her heart and she said, this is what I need to deliver me from the slavery of sin. She followed the teaching until she became an intelligent agnostic or infidel. And as a result, her whole being revolted against the degradation of the life she'd been living. She fled from the den of iniquity where she'd been held captive for so long. And today, rehabilitated, she has won her way back to an honoured position in society and is living a clean, virtuous, happy life. All because she is an agnostic. Now, he said, addressing the gentleman who had presented him with the card, if you would promise to bring these two people with you as examples of what agnosticism can do, I will promise to meet you at the Hall of Science at 4 o'clock next Sunday and I will bring with me at the very least 100 men and women who for years lived in such sinful degradation as I've tried to depict, but have been gloriously saved through believing in the gospel that you ridicule. I'll have these men and women with me on the platform as witnesses to the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ and present-day proof of the truth of the Bible. Dr. Ironside then turned to the Salvation Army captain, a woman, and said, Captain, do you have anyone who would come with me to such a meeting? She exclaimed with enthusiasm, We can give you at least 40! just from this call, and we'll give you a brass band to lead the procession. (laughs) Fine, Dr. Ironside said. Now, sir, I will have no difficulty picking up 60 others from various missions, gospel halls, and evangelical churches of the city. So if you promise to bring two such exhibits as I have described, I will come marching in at the head of such a procession with a band playing Onward Christian Soldiers, and I'll be ready for the debate. Apparently, the man who had made the challenge had some sense of humor, for he smiled wryly, waved his hand in a sort of depreciating way, as to say, nothing going, edged out of the crowd, and walked away. And everyone applauded Ironside. (laughs) Pretty cool. That's what the gospel of grace in Christ does it's the power of God for the transformation of lives. It's when people recognize that they've been lifted from the depths of their sin and made sons and daughters of God. It's when they realise that their lives are transformed, continue to be transformed, and that they become thankful and grateful to God and live in gratitude. My question to you this morning is, are you living that way? Are you living in a place of gratitude? Are you looking at those people around you still in need of that transformation and saying you need Jesus? Or are you like Simon saying, oh, so much better than you? It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us. My hope is that we can say, let's be, let's have a Jesus approach to the people around us. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the scriptures that help us understand your forgiveness. But Lord, it's easy to to creep back into thinking about self, into doing things my way, into thinking, oh, I'm not as bad as that person. But Lord, help us daily to come back to your grace. We need it daily, Lord. Help us to be grateful on a daily basis for the things that you do for us. Too numerous to number or name, and we give you thanks for it. We pray this morning that if anyone here, anyone online, is having a sense of a need for you, a deeper need for you, Lord, I pray that you will be close to them, that this morning that your presence will be very real to them. And Lord, if anyone's here that has a sense that maybe they need to invite you to be part of their lives afresh, maybe for the first time. Lord, I pray that you speak to them very clearly and boldly now. Lord, your word is what brings the power of you. May it speak boldly. We give you thanks and praise. Amen.